0: John 9, message is found. uh, We're picking right up where we've been. And uh, if you're not familiar or you haven't been here and you've not had any familiarity with uh, this story, this account, this healing that Jesus did and wrought in this man who was born blind, then um, I'm just going to try to encourage everybody to pick up. I'll do as best as I can. But the essence of it is this man was healed. He'd been born blind. Jesus healed him. But he healed him, as we will see, on the wrong day. It was a problem because uh, there were some people, the Pharisees and the scribes, the lawyers, who were convinced that God would never contradict himself. He would never do something and then undermine his own word, which is in the law, to keep the Sabbath. And so we talked a lot about that. I, can't, I don't have the time to go back into it. We'll just pick up right here. In the 24th verse of John 9, and read through this, this uh, piece and then get to where we need to go. It says, So they again called the man who was blind, and they said to him, Give glory to God. Give God the glory. They called him back in. Remember, they had sent him out of the room. They had attempted to talk to his parents about whether or not he actually was born blind. They said, Yes, he is, but we prefer not to talk about it. He's his own man. Remember, they kind of distanced themselves because they were afraid. And ultimately, um, earlier on, they had, had a discussion about who Jesus was, about whether or not he was actually someone sent from God. Could he be who people were saying he was? The consensus in the room was he could not be, or else they would have recognized it. They were the leaders of the people. They were the, temple. They were the authorities of Jerusalem. They were the students of the law and of the words of God. They were the keeper of that word. And so this is the scenario that we are presented with. It says that they called the blind man back in, and they said to him, Listen, listen let's just be done with this whole thing. All we need you to do is just, let's just give glory to God. Let's give God the glory. And then, you know what? Let's let's just wash our hands of this man, Jesus. This man is a, this is what they said, this man, what we know is that this man is a sinner. That is, he is a lawbreaker. That's what they mean. That that he is an underminer of the law of Moses, which clearly God gave us his words and he has chosen to break them. So be done with the man. Let it, and then we, we can all move on. We can all move on. It says here that he, the, blind, the, man, the man who had been born blind but had been healed, he answered him and he said, he answered him and he said, whether he is a, look whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. That's that's between you. You you seem to be the keepers of the law I and mean, you're the theologians. I, that's not my terrain or expertise, and I'm not attempting to argue a point with you about it. But what thing I do know that I was blind and now I see. And there's this amazing, beautiful exchange. And then he said to him, they said to him again, what, what did he do to you again? Let's go over this one more time. How did he open your eyes? And he answered, look, I told you already. You didn't listen to me. You don't want to hear what I'm saying. You want me to hear it again? Why, do you want to also be his disciples? And of course it says, they reviled him. They, they came back at him. They diminished him. They, they said, we are not his disciples. You are his disciple. We are the disciples of Moses. Look at it, it's very clear. We know, he says, we know that God spoke through Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't know know where he is from or who even sent him. We know Moses was sent from God and he gave us these words and we live by them. But this man, we know nothing of him nor where he came from. And then the blind man does something daring and bold because if he was anything, he was brave. And he said, well, that's amazing to me. Pardon me. It's amazing to me that you who know so much know so little about this man because I'll tell you something. He did something nobody else has done. Look at this. He says the man answered, Why wow, is a marvelous thing then? It's amazing to me that you don't know anything about him, you don't know where he's from, and yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know and then he says this, you know this tonight or this. Now we know. It's pretty remarkable that he's willing to do this, this is a very intimidating environment. He is standing in front of People who are powerful and highly intellectual and deeply capable in in a number of different ways of diminishing him. He has everything to lose and nothing to gain. All he needed to do was be quiet. But this simple man who had his life altered by Jesus, when given the opportunity to let it all go away and move on with his life, all he had to do was wash his hands of Jesus, this Jesus thing. And you know what? He had him on, but he decides that he cannot do it. And he said, and the more they push, they they actually push him to step forward forward and then he says something he says he starts to teach them he reminds them of something look what he says he says now we know you know it, and I know it. God does not hear those who break his law he doesn't hear sinners he says that's what that's what he means but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will and he then he hears him he goes now listen since the world began it has been unheard of you know it and I know that anyone opened the eyes of one who has been born blind no I tell you listen to me if this man were not from God he could not do this thing he could do nothing and when, they, when he tried to challenge them on their turf, look what says happens. Verse 34, and they answered him. Now we break in. They answered him and they said, you are nothing. Who are you? Who are you to even attempt to teach us anything about God's words? You are a contemptible man. You were born. Have you forgotten you were born? Remember, in their frame of reference, to be born like he was born was to be born with a curse. You've been cursed from your beginning. Don't you even open your mouth in our presence and even insinuate you can teach us anything. In fact, get out of our, get him out of here. And they cast him out. They they took him physically and had him thrown out of the temple. That's the picture. We read it, it looks like, well, you know, they just cast him out, you know, time to go. No, it was, it was a lot more. It was because you can feel it in the page. You can feel it. It's the anger, the indictment, the the uh, um, the amazement that you, someone like you, would even think about trying to instruct us in any. Who do you think you are? Get out. Get him out of our sight. Throw him out of here, and don't come back. That's the picture. And the fact, the Bible says that the news spread. Look at it. What's it say happened? That when Jesus heard, what did he hear? Because the people were talking. Did you hear about the blind man? Did you hear what happened to him? He refused. They had this interrogation thing, and he refused to to wash his hands of this Jesus, and and they, they cast him, and he talked back to them. Remember how afraid his parents were that they would be cast out, cut off from the community? They were afraid. They said, look, he's his own man. Ask him the question about how he got healed. All we're saying is we know him and he was once blind, but that's his, he can decide, he can tell you, leave us be. We don't want to, they didn't want any retribution. They wanted to play it safe. He had the same opportunity. The news spreads that he got thrown out. And the amazing thing is I tried to imagine what it would have been like to be this man. Think about it. He has never, you know, this is a, a wonderful moment. I mean, think he can see. But the sad, pathetic sight of him now sitting alone somewhere by himself, he who had been for so many years an outcast, a man born blind, a beggar on the periphery of society, never, ever really a part of it. Oh, and now finally he can see, he he can re-enter And now once again, out again, out again, all by myself. And this is where he, says Jesus found him. I love that. When when he, says, when Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he went looking for him. And when he found him, he asked him a question that every human being at some point must answer. He says, do you believe, this is the first time, by the way, their eyes had ever met, Look at me. Do you believe in the Son of God? Now this man was nobody's fool. There's one thing we know about him. He would not confess what he did not believe. He had already shown his mettle. If he was this person who cowered under and who backed down, he would not confess a truth he did not embrace. He wouldn't do it. It wasn't in him. He was candid. He was more than that. He was intrepid. He was brave and undaunted, even in the face of danger. There was something about him that distinguishes him in a remarkable way. He looks like a nobody, but he's actually quite impressive. Remember how he was in front of somebody's, and he a nobody, and he stood up. And God, God's working his life. Think about it. And he says, Jesus says, look at me. Do you believe in the Son of God? By the way, that was not a question Jesus frequently asked. And he says, you know what? Why don't you, look at what he says here. Lord, he says, who is this son of God? Some translation says son of man. Who is this promised one? Where is he that I may believe? And then Jesus makes a statement. This is where I think he said, look at me. With eyes that now see look at me it's it's a powerful moment look at me he says you have both seen seen him and he is even now in this moment talking to you and you could feel cuz it, mm-hmm. it's like faith activates. And how do you describe it? But it's like that. When it happens, it happens. And it's like he says, Lord, I, be- Lord, I, I believe. I believe. And then he says it says and he gets down, because the word for worship is proscaneo. It means to literally fall down and give reverence. And it says he began to worship it. I believe. I mean, it is this moment of abandon. He goes from, from you know an acknowledgement to an adoration, right? He goes from uh, someone who has some uh, knowledge of Jesus to someone who is now worshiping him. I mean, it is a powerful moment, it is a transformative moment. It is the confession of one who says, I believe. You you are, and look what it says here. And Jesus, and we, if we just read the verses, it almost, I think we lose some of the movement. I think it happens fast. He says, Lord, I believe, and he worships. And Jesus says, almost with the same degree of emotion, for this cause I have come into the world. For, look, what he, look at the phrase he uses. He says, for judgment I have come into this world. Now, we meet, Part of us goes, what is Jesus saying? There were times where Jesus would say something in response to someone's action that almost felt like it was out of place. It's like, why would he say that? What was he saying? What was he getting at? What was he moving into? Why did he respond that way? I mean, think about it. The majority of the leaders had turned away and said, this Jesus is not of God. And here is this man who now is confessing what those who should have been confessing could not and would not confess. And he says, for this cause I have come, for judgment I have come, truly I am a truly, This is what he means. I am a dividing point. Truly. Truly, people must decide. For judgment, I have come. Look what he says. He says, there there is a point where when I come into something, it's like what he's saying, you must fall one way or fall the other. The middle place is not really an option. He says, we either essentially say, I reject you, or you bowed, or we bow down with the blind man and say, I believe, Lord, I believe you are the Son of God. I mean, there, there is that element in it. And then he goes on to say, and then, he mix, and then he brings back the metaphor. Look how he's mixing it. Look at the words he's choosing. Look what he says. He says, for judgment I have come into this world that those who do not see may see. And he says, so that the eyes of who, those who open their heart and through the eyes of faith, they will see. Now, he's using it in a double, a double metaphor, right? There's two things going on there. And then he also says, but the same truth is this, that those who see are made blind. And the, and, and the, and the Pharisees who had trailed along to see this interaction, some of them were there. And they turned to one another and they said, they said is he talking? Is he saying what I think he's saying? Look, what, look what's going on there. Are you saying that we are blind? Is that what you're saying? And Jesus, he says, oh, if only you were blind. If only you were blind, it would be better for you if you were blind. If you truly were ignorant of what you were doing, but this is not an issue of ignorance. It is a choice of willful ignorance. There's a difference. If you were blind, if you truly didn't understand, it'd be different, but you say you understand. You say you believe the truth of God, and yet you reject him when he's before your very eyes. I say to you, it would be better for you if you had been blind. Then your sin would would be different. He says, your sin remains, because you say in your arrogance that you know better, and you will not receive me. I tell you, this man who has received me sees and you remain in your sin. Powerful. Powerful. And what can we draw from that? <sighs> from one of the things I see here, I see, is that sometimes a commitment to Jesus will cost us something. Loyalty will cost something. Um, I'm not, I, I, I'm, I'm going to walk in a, in a delicate place here but I, I want to suggest that there are times where we will be confronted and you've heard me talk about this in the past few weeks where there are times where we must be willing to risk something for the Lord now listen we, we don't understand we, I'm speaking now to people who've made a decision to follow the Lord and who have a relationship with Jesus we, we don't know what real persecution is I don't know There are people right now who know in parts of the world. It is a, they understand what it means when Jesus said, if anyone will come after me, let him take up his cross, deny himself, and follow me. There's a cost. I'm not saying that that we're any less a part of his body. What I am going to say is this. We really don't know what it's like, I think in most cases, to be, to really have to choose. But this blind man in many ways, became an outcast because he would not reinterpret Jesus. He refused to concede the point. They said to him, look, let's not make a big deal of this. Here's what we all think. All you have to do is think with us. And if you do that, we all leave. It's not a big deal. Just wash your hands of the man. I'm going to suggest that there are times where the Lord will ask us to stand for him, not in a proud, arrogant, angry way, may God give us grace, but also in a way that refuses to disown him and simply move with the prevailing crowd or simply do what everybody else is doing, because after all, you know, whatever else is being said, look, there are moments where the Lord, listen, will ask us to stand. He will ask us to walk to the beat of a different drum. He will ask us to go against the grain. It is, it is true. It is true. There are moments where we must decide. Think about—he was an outcast. They threw him out. You know what's amazing? They throw him out of the temple. But the Lord of the temple finds him. And not only does He find him, but can you understand? Can we understand this as well? To this man, now you know what? When Jesus says, basically, I, you, "Do you do believe in the Son of God?" He says, "He says, who is He?" He says, "But you're looking at Him and you're hearing Him even now." Do you know how rare Jesus actually had that type of a conversation recorded in the scriptures? That is, Jesus didn't just walk around telling everybody, hey, I'm the son of God, I'm the son of God. <laughs> he didn't do that. No, really, just, read it, read it. It doesn't happen a lot. And one of the amazing things to me is, is that this man, who is he? This man is given this moment. And we're all living out of that moment right now. But the words were given to a man who had made a decision that refused to denounce his Lord. And there are times where the hard call on our part will produce an intimacy that can come no other way. There is a winning that looks a lot like losing. And there's a losing that looks a lot like winning. And the two are not always easy to see at first. But it is better to hear him say to us, I am he. That moment is a special moment. And that leads me to the second point. You see in this man, or a thought, you see in this man an emergence. Think about it. How does he start off? They say to him, who healed you? In verse, I think it's verse 11 of that chapter, it's not in the handout, in, but in your Bible, John 9, 11, they say, who, he says, well, you know what? There was this man named Jesus. And he, he put some mud on my eyes and he told me to go wash in the pool of Siloam and I did it. and I said, and think about it. So his first statement about who is, who did, his first thing about Jesus is, oh, Jesus is a man, he's a man. But then, remember what happens? He gets brought into this larger discussion about what a, what, who Jesus is and the, the leaders are debating about him, the, the thinkers and, and, and the debaters are, are, are going back and forth. The majority is saying he's not from God. God would never undermine his own words. He would never send someone then to undermine the words of Moses. No, he cannot be from God. He's a deceiver. Whatever power he has, it, it can't be from God. And there were others, a, a, a smaller group, that said, well, he has to be from God because nobody could do what he's doing if it wasn't from God. He, he's doing what they what periodically would happen from the old prophets of old. And, and he says that he, he's healing. And that They had they had a template for that in the Old Testament. For them, that was their Bible, and they had a history of God sending people who had power and mighty, mighty capacity to heal. But it was a rare thing, and so they said he must be a prophet from God. Now, remember, in the middle of that conversation, the blind man is listening because he's kind of watching what's going on back and forth. And he's, he, in theory, he's the one being interrogated, but he's watching this argument break out in the middle of hi, him being called to give account, right? And so he's there, and then they turn to him and they say, well, "What do you say he is? And he's been listening. And the one that he used to call a man, he says, well... I think he's a prophet sent from God. That's what I think. I, I'm with them. Now he gets so it's from man, He's a man. To he's a prophet? Then Jesus comes and says, "Do you believe in the Son of God?" And the next thing is, I believe. You see? The progression, the expansion. Of his confession from Jesus being a historical man to Jesus being one of the ways a prophet of God to Jesus being the Son of God the way it's a it's a beautiful movement of expansion of understanding and the last thing I'll say about it is that we also see here a picture of everything that God has come to do for he who was sent was sent to find the one that was lost they asked Jesus, give us your condensed mission statement. They didn't say that exactly, but that's what they meant. <laughs> he said, I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. I have. To find the lost. He, you remember, with the blind man, he didn't like, say, go tell Jesus I just got thrown out because I wouldn't wash my hands of him. He wasn't even seeking him. Jesus found him. Jesus found him. Jesus still finds us. We love him because he first loved us. Now that's the big picture. Do you know that he still finds us in our wounded place, in our solitary place, in our alone place? There's something profound, simple, and beautiful about Jesus seeking out this man because that's what he does with you and me. He finds us. And when he finds us, we begin to understand in a different way amazing grace, how sweet. See, it's, it's, It's the gift of God. It's about the Lord who loves us enough to find us. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, a lost one like me. I once was, what, lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I, I, I see. I mean, it, it's the gospel of seeing. It's the good news of the open eye. We talked about this. It's being found. And you know, so when would that happen? So what, what is that supposed to do? What is that supposed to produce in us? It's supposed to produce in us, you find, he finds us, it, it, and it calls us to, and when he seeks us out, and he has sought every one of us out here, there's no question in my mind, we are not here by coincidence. At least in part, we are part of a larger story. And he has sought us and his words have come to us and his healing touch has either come or is coming. And what that is to call out in us is this, I believe. I believe. And to work, confession, I believe, to worship, I surrender my heart and life to you, Lord. And that leads to commitment to live it out. And I think this is the big breakdown a lot of times for many of us. I am contending for a faith that goes beyond confession alone. But for a faith that Jesus said, if it is gonna actually work, we must seek it, we must seek diligently the Lord. That means we have to take the time to, to actually read his word. There are so many people talking about Jesus, some of them, when you turn on the TV, they don't even, they don't even profess a faith in him and they're telling us who he is. I'm saying this, read it, but not don't just stop there. Keep going. Say, this year, whatever else I will do, I will spend time looking at what the scriptures say a Christian looks like. And how we are supposed to operate, maybe not in the same culture, but the fact of the matter is, there are principles that are consistent across the board. And they call forth out not simply an easy profession and confession, but actually it will challenge us to readjust and align our lives so that real blessing can flow in the way that the Lord intends it. And you know what that means? It means it's gonna show up in our words. It is. I was walking and I was in a public place, and I just happened to be by myself. I was walking. I was just kind of being anonymous, and I was listening. I probably walked there many times, but I was just hearing all the people talk. And this was a place where there was a lot of younger people, but it wasn't only that. And I was struck by so many of the words. And I felt not in a self-righteous way. But I felt like, you know, Lord, one of the things it reminds me of is that when you truly get a hold of a life, that we become accountable for the words we speak. And the way we treat people, yes, and the way we love and the way we honor our relationships do matter. And the way we seek after God matters. And the choices we make matters. I remember when I was a young follower of Jesus, just beginning, somebody had told me a song. The song was, I want to be a more righteous man. I want to be a godly man. I want to do what I can to follow closer to you. And then there was a line. I want to follow a different drum. Even if I'm the only one, I want to hear when I'm done. You did well, my son. That stood with me all these years. The Lord still calls us to follow to a different drum, not simply to go with the mass of culture that tells us how to live and what is actually meaningful when it isn't, we want to follow the Lord. They may say, wash your hands, and I don't mean they and everybody's against this paranoia way, but we may feel pressure to not follow. I'm going to say, follow the Lord all the days of our lives as imperfectly, but as best as we can, and ask God to give us his grace to do it. He will always find us. He loves us dearly. He calls us to be a light and a life giver in his name. May we step up and may we fall down and say, I believe. Truly, I believe. I believe more than in my words. I believe enough to let it affect the choices I make in my everyday life. And how I build my worldview, it will reflect someone who is not just passively committed to you, but whose heart is turned to you as one is turned when their eyes have been opened and before I could not see. So, Lord, I pray that as we are here in this house where your name is loved and adored, where it is not simply recognized, but it is revered, I pray, Lord, that you will continue to work in our lives. Let there be a flow of grace into our lives, Lord, so that what we do is not simply doing a religious thing, Um, that has some merit in its confession, but Lord, it was meant to be so much more. And I do thank you, Lord, that there are times where your word will come to us if we are willing to acquaint ourselves with it and get around people who actually believe it and let that word strike us in a way that brings forth the spark of life. That there are things that you would do in us, Lord. Expansion of understanding, expansion of the capacity to bless for the generations who we may, and people who we may not even know, know yet or who are yet to be born. But Lord, there will be blessing that will flow. And this is a year that I believe you are calling many of us, Lord, to have a new vision of what you can do in our lives. And so I pray, Lord, that you would work in all of us. I include myself, Lord, that you would continue to work, Lord, for your goodness and glory. I pray that you'd bless this closing minutes, bless this song, which is actually designed to complement what we've been sharing. And also, Lord, as best as many of us can do, we ask you to honor this, our time of giving, as our church does this together. For your glory, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, God, and amen.